Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. Welcome to everyone. Welcome to those who are attending on the love stream. It's a great joy, honor, privilege to address you from this space of the Absolute Self so that all of us resonate together as the manifestation of Sat, of the One Self, the One Self that is absolute and relative, in which the relative knows itself as the manifestation of the Absolute and all the sense of difference and suffering and karma fall away. And we are able to celebrate a new birth, a new perception of reality that frees us from the chains of the past, of the ego's belief system that is the cause of all suffering and enables us to shine with the love light that is our inherent nature. A satsang is a space for gathering inward into that absolute self that has never been born or created and never been touched by suffering. But for most who have been identified with the relative self, the physical organism and the ego mind, the chattering of the thoughts that the ego continues to produce obsessively. For those who are still identified with that, you will notice that every ego produces a unique kind of suffering by having a very special sense of self-hatred, a very special sense of self-disgust, a special sense of inadequacy. Every ego in its own way thinks it's either unworthy or inadequate or weak or ugly or stupid or somehow not with it or undeserving or it carries some kind of guilt or shame because of traumas that happened in the past that it's identified with and with projections that were imposed on it either in childhood or in other traumatic events. Every ego holds on to some belief about itself and about reality 
that is the cause of all of its anguish, all of its uh, attitudinal, self-defeating nature. And yet none of it is real. None of that has any validity. It's a narrative fiction that the ego holds on to because that's all it has to identify with. And if it lets go of that, if it opens the hand of thought, as a great Zen Roshi uh, spoke of uh, in, in a, a, a very fine teaching and a book, if we can open that up and let go of that belief system of the ego, we are free because all we are and ever have been is the manifestation of the absolute, the absolute goodness, the absolute power of love and of joy that has no needs and no fears and is whole and complete and beautiful and perfect. We are that. All we need to do is let go. Give yourself permission to let go. You have the power to do that. This is what your free will is for. Use it. But the ego that's identified with these false beliefs can't use it, can't let go of itself. Why? Because it's terrified of the emptiness. It's terrified of not knowing who it is. It, it would rather be a character that it doesn't like than to not know who it really is. Or a character who, who's suffering it can blame on someone else and so feel like uh, it's okay because the others are the bad ones. Every ego will create some dualistic illusion Either it's the bad one and the others are good, or the others are smart and it's not, or the others are pretty and it's not, or etc. Or I'm the good one and the others are all evil, etc. But there's always this kind of a dualistic molecule in the ego mind. And because its splitness is always a projection, like a yo-yo, it always comes back. And the ego tries every which way to let go of it by clinging to positive projections that other people will, will give it for their reasons of wanting a positive projection in return. And so relationships at the ego level are these kinds of exchanges of projections. But then one becomes dependent and fragile and weak because what if that projection is withdrawn? What if one is no longer loved? What if one is no longer seen in that light of positivity? And so every ego tries to overcome and compensate for its fragility with some uh, shell and facade that it doesn't need anyone, it's superior, or it's so inferior that it, it will never be loved anyway, so there's nothing to lose. Everyone chooses a different strategy. But none of these strategies bring happiness because the ego itself is the source of unhappiness. 
because it's a belief of separation from the infinite being that you are. And that separation is as thin as a thought. It has no reality to it. Simply by not thinking it, it's gone and you're free. It doesn't take work, it doesn't take effort, it doesn't take amazingly difficult ascetic practices and techniques of breathing and mantras and other kinds of spiritual efforts. It's just dropping the false belief of the ego. Nothing could be simpler. You're already free and you believe you're in a prison and because consciousness is so powerful, it will create a prison that you believe you're in and then you're trapped in it. But what is it except your own belief? It's not real. Freedom is what is real. You don't need anyone in order to realize yourself. You don't need to worship God even. You don't need a guru. You don't need anyone outside of your own being. Your being contains all. Even whatever idea you have of God is your idea. God is beyond all ideas and is not different from what you really are. So there's no reason or need to create some uh, some difficulty, some need for ritual or practice or to take some substance to alter your consciousness so you think you can get out of the ego by some chemical derangement of the neurons in a temporary way, hopefully a temporary way, not always. But you don't need anything. You are already free simply by accepting yourself completely and being present in the silence and allowing the life energy, the energy of consciousness, the energy that is what is real within you to fill you with the delight, the ecstatic joy of being but first there must be the emptying out of all the ego beliefs and all of its attitudinal tendencies of cynicism, nihilism, and refusal of acceptance of the dimension of our depth of being, letting go of all that, turning inward, and then feeling the immensity of the real that you are, that's unborn and deathless. Nothing else is required. And as we enter into the phase of the collective illusion that we are now in, we need a very simple method to free ourselves from the collective shadow, the dark 
fear that is encroaching upon the world as all the systems of social organization fall apart and collapse. We have to find that real strength that can enable us to reunite at a higher level of consciousness with that unitive intelligence that can be, give rebirth to a planetary society that lives in divine unity, peace and love without conflict, without war, without negativity. Because all of it is in our minds, we have the power to save ourselves and our sacred planet and our world from falling into that black hole in which the social organizations and the ego collectively and individually is falling into. But it requires us to free the consciousness from its negative beliefs and from the emotions that create anxiety, depression, despair, shame, guilt, all of those negative emotions that are part of the prison that the ego is in, all of them are delusions. So your freedom, your joy are inherent to your nature. You don't have to buy them or acquire them or make effort to find them. You just have to let go of the illusion of lostness and realize that you have always already been found by the one self who holds you with infinite love. So there is really nothing more to say and once the ego has dropped away there is only peace and silence nothing special everything goes on but it goes on in that serenity in that appreciation of the beauty of every moment that brings eternity into time and brings the power of the dreamer into the dream, fully awakened. May you give yourself the gift of that awakening and the joy of being that is our birthright from the one God who abides in the heart of every being. Namaste. So the floor is open. Prush. Thank you, Shunyak. Um, we want to welcome everyone who's joining us online and part of our virtual community. We have people from all over the world tuning in with us today, uh, from Poland, the Netherlands, the US, 
Spain, Scotland, Germany, the UK, Canada, Austria, Japan, India, Turkey, Sweden, Greece, Belgium, Portugal, Peru, South Africa, Russia, France, Denmark, Brazil, Slovakia, and Chile. And I'm sorry if I missed anyone. Uh, our first question comes from one of our members. Welcome to everyone. Thank you. Uh, our first question comes from one of our members who's tuning in uh, named Anthony. His question is, how does one stop enjoying our suffering on an unconscious level? Hmm. First, make it conscious that it is your choice to suffer. And then realize the feeling that comes when you experiment with letting it go, with witnessing it without identification. A feeling of great strength will come and a feeling of great serenity and clarity will come so that not only the suffering, but its whole context its whole meaning, its purpose, the wisdom that it contains once it is sublimated and juiced and, and turns, turned into its essence, that alchemical process of burning away the suffering, dissolving it, but taking in uh, its vapors uh, and, and allowing them to reach the highest level of vibrational frequency, you will discover that in that suffering there is great power, great wisdom, great love. And that all that suffering was, was a seed that was meant to blossom into a divine nature that was always latent within you. And that its energies, once sublimated, once surrendered to God, once recognized for what they are in the truth of your being, they become the powers to help as a healing catalyst for all those who are still suffering. And they bring a complete humility and yet a, a moral courage to be able to speak the truth and to be able to be silent in the truth and to act spontaneously without any egoic will, desire, intention, or fear getting in the way of the clarity of that infinite intelligence that will now use your vehicle, mind and body, for the purposes of the upliftment of all. As you surrender to that will of God, you will become one with that supreme presence. Is there anyone here with a question? Jose, there's a microphone. Thank you, and uh, for this and also for the essays in Spanish. Mm. And um, the question is about that. Um, in Spanish, in Spanish, there are uh, terms like J N A N A, uh, Jnana. Yeah, we call it Jnana here. Here is Jnana. That's how it's 
and uh, generally pronounced in India. Ah, okay. And uh, ahamkara, which is ahamkar, mm -hmm. right? The same. Same. Okay. Um, and the other one is that um, I have seen that there are a few things that I really understand from your book and from Ramana's teachings. I mean, I understand the words, but I. But it is different. It is one thing is reading, and the other thing is understanding. Yes. And um, it would be uh, useful to have a type of dictionary or glossary mm. for, for example, incarnation. You know, mm -hmm. it comes like the real and complete meaning is that it comes from the Spanish word carne, mm -hmm. that means in English meat, That's and. Right. Samadhi, that means union, mukti, all those uh, yes. type of things that mm. have been difficult mm. for me and, and so. I appreciate that comment, Jose, and we have actually been working on a glossary. I think Purusha has a, a, a draft of it and soon we will uh, hopefully have it complete with all the words that you want and <laughs> translate it into Spanish and maybe you'll help do it the translation. Yes. Okay, wonderful. So thank you for that. Hey, thanks. Is there anyone else here who, Vajra? Um, thank you for this teaching. I always appreciate how not just possible you make it seem to, to realize the self, but um, that, that it's, it's just our nature, <laughs> that it is what it is. That's a fact. <laughs> I had a question. Um, when you said the, the ego can't let go into the absolute because it's terrified to face the emptiness, how can the ego, or does the ego gain that courage to face the emptiness? Or no, what happens is suddenly there's a realization that you're the witness of the ego. You thought you were the ego, but you're not. The ego is just a bunch of thoughts going across the screen of the mind. And, and you were witnessing it and entranced, literally hypnotized by those words and identifying when the, when the word or the thought I came, consciousness identified and think that, well, that thought is about me. I want a cookie, says the thought, and so then the body goes for the cookie. But that is only a thought, and when you realize you're the witness of it, and you say, no, I don't really want a cookie, that thought is crazy. I don't, and it will be deleted then from the program, and you'll realize that that thought belongs to an operating system, which is a belief system about who you are. And, and that system was one that you took in when you were a young child, and, uh, and had certain needs and certain fears and certain uh, uh, motivations that were only appropriate to childhood. But they're somehow still there even though you've outgrown them because you never went through that rite of passage of, of ego death and rebirth with a truly adult consciousness. So everyone's running around, whether they're 40, 50, 60 years old, still as kind of a three-year-old child, and they regress to that state, even though there are higher strata that have been added to it, but as soon as they're stressed, you fall into the terrible twos, and you have a temper tantrum or a meltdown or, or some other dysfunction. 
And so the, the problem is that we've never let go of this larval stage of development of consciousness. And, uh, and even though we've built higher uh, levels of the, the structure of the ego, it has always been based on these initial uh, false beliefs that even though they may have been modified with time, they, they still remain as traces of feelings, of trauma, of uh, self-doubt, of fear of abandonment, all of those things that a child will feel uh, because of its inability to use its body, its motor skills haven't developed, it's still breastfeeding or it's still in a state of total need of the mother's presence, etc. All of that has been outgrown, but the psychological operating system that was there then got repressed but didn't get eliminated. And so we have to go so deep within that we find that and burn that in the fire and then all the other obsolete strata that were built as defenses against that one. And then finally we're free to discover who we really are. That's true spiritual birth. So there's physical birth, there's psychological birth as an ego, there's development, and then there has to be ego death and then rebirth as pure spirit. That's the phase that we must now be in and free ourselves from all of those confining beliefs of the past. And when we do that as a microcosm and then as a collective communal energy field, then the morphogenetic resonance of that vibration of, of spiritual freedom will spread throughout the world and enable a great awakening and a, a great renaissance of our divine nature that will miraculously change the trajectory of history. But we must make this shift now. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Okay, a question from another one of our members, Michael. Michael asks, uh, I, would like you to, I would like to ask you if you could speak towards the term samadhi its various stages and Sat Yoga's understanding of such. In Sat Yoga, we focus on Sahaja Samadhi. So uh, the, the Samadhis that are um, part of Patanjali's yoga system, which include uh, the Savikalpa, Nirvikalpa, Savitarka, Nirvitarka, there are many different names and many different, um, let's say, uh, transitional phases that come in the meditative state. But what we want to realize is that all of life is a meditation. That since you're not the body, it doesn't matter if the body is sitting still or is active. And so we're meditating when we're walking, when we're eating, when we're working, whatever. We're the, the, that state of presence of the absolute self that knows it's not the body and it's not the chattering mind never changes. And that samadhi is always with us, even though the attention may not be present to it, it's always there. So the practice is simply realizing that the absolute self that's completely peaceful, bodiless, and uh, eternally present is what we are. And that realization may begin as a symbolic uh, understanding 
and then by focusing on what does that really mean, as Jose said, what does that really mean that I am presence that is not the body nor the mind, okay? It's the habit of identifying with thoughts that causes all the problem. And once there is that disidentification from thought, you are in Sahaja Samadhi. And then, even though thoughts will happen, they will be spontaneous products that come from the absolute self that are part of one's service in the world with one's vehicle. But there will not be any disturbance, there will not be any frustration, anger, uh, sadness, projection, uh, or any disturbance of one's peace. Uh, and one accepts that every moment of this world drama is perfect and has something to teach. Even something that is painful has something to teach you that you would not have learned otherwise, and therefore the pain itself will bring joy rather than suffering. So there's a difference between pain and suffering. And if our attitude is one of learning from the world as the reflection of the intelligence of God that is meant to bring us back into God consciousness, then every moment will be one of total awe, joy, amazement, wonderment, and the appreciation of the precise beauty of God's work, and we are part of that work, and uh, because we are not different from that same intelligence that created all, uh, we are in a, a state of bliss. It's that sahaja samadhi that is blissful living without uh, needing any separate rituals or periods of time uh, to find yourself because you never have lost yourself. That's the samadhi that uh, Satyoga is about. Kin. Um, thank you for this teaching. Um, someone once told me that spirituality is more like a slide than, uh, than a ladder or a staircase because you go up, up, up. And if you don't keep going, you slide back down. And um, I'm reading this book where it's explained that uh, in spirituality you can go up, but as long as the anvil of materi materiality is still attached to your leg, it can take you back down again at any moment. And um, so I feel that I, I get into joyful meditations, mm -hmm. but even there, the mind is still going. And yeah, I notice course. how I'm enjoying the thoughts mm -hmm. in the joy of meditation. Mm -hmm. And then I go to bed and I try to meditate the next day, but then it already feels again like that um, anvil of material is there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how to deal with that? Okay, well, I, I think what you're describing is probably common to many, but it's not really spirituality. It is proto-spirituality. One could even say pseudo-spirituality because it is the attempt of the ego to appropriate the bliss. The ego is trying to climb up 
and yet will always fall back down. Why does it fall back down? Because it wants the enjoyments that it just climbed away from, and uh, it wants its fix again. So yes, of course, uh, the ego is going to go through this over and over again. And it's only when you are uh, finished with going through that cycle of shoots and ladders over and over again and, and realize that the problem is that it's the I thought that's trying to appropriate the spiritual state of bliss or of, uh, uh, let's say, detachment and uh, freedom from addictive behaviors, etc. When you realize it's the I thought and the I thought is the illusion that you haven't been willing to get rid of and, and dissolve, then it's not about what the eye does. It's not about climbing any mountain or falling back down because the self doesn't do either one. The self is witnessing this whole act and, and uh, not at all being affected by it. Once there is that realization, then the real effort is to not make any effort at all because you're already that. You're already the one reality. And the making of effort has the secret intention by the ego of making sure that you never go through ego death. But you will always come back to the ego and to which enjoyments which will bring more suffering and then more of the need for some uh, inner or outer pilgrimage to cleanse yourself and, and, and try to find God again. All of that is a game that the ego has invented, okay? There's really no such thing as spirituality. There is only consciousness, and it's already pure spirit. It doesn't have to do anything. So once that is recognized, then all of those false efforts fall away, and you're already in bliss. There was never any anvil or any chains of any kind. That was only the imagination that was used uh, to make sure that the, the ego uh, gravity and solidity and, and sense of separateness would stay with you. At the moment when you want to be free, you will be free because you are free. It's a choice. And that choice then will end the game forever. Thank you. Yeah, I recognize that. Getting a fix and then using that energy again for enjoyments. So, thanks. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another question from one of our members and good friends, uh, Vika. Vika oh, says... Vika. Uh, can we heal all trauma, karma, and physical disease by meditation and awareness only? Or do we sometimes need other allopathic treatments? Oh, yes. I think it, it's uh, important to make use of any uh, uh, help that can be gained from, from whatever uh, uh, sources. Uh, but remember that everything that happens has a... Uh, a meaning to it. And what is wanted is to get to the core of the meaning of a symptom of suffering. Uh, there there are, are situations, because the body is mortal, that you will not be able to heal uh, necessarily uh, an illness or cure it, let's say. 
the healing has to do with the soul's acceptance uh, of all that is and of the reality that there is nothing to fear in the transition from a living body to a dead body. The, the consciousness does not die and uh, there is no need to remain attached uh, to any situation. And when you really understand the meaning of the suffering, it becomes transformed into a kind of empowerment that if it's accurate and appropriate, the, yes, the symptoms will fall away. And if it's uh, not, the suffering will fall away, even if the symptoms remain. And uh, the, the destiny that one's organism has, uh, has become engaged in will be recognized as perfect. So it's the, the uh, let's say, uh, the, the, the sense of, uh, of a, a, a dissonance between the state of consciousness and the state of body that must be uh, resolved. And uh, that's usually there because at some level, and maybe a deeply repressed level, there's a feeling of the misuse of one's bodily organism, either in the past or in, uh, in some fantasy that still is ongoing in the subconscious shadow. And once that can be resolved and one can f truly uh, stand behind one's being and support one's being, then that becomes a pranic flow of energy that has the ability to heal nearly any kind of symptom. So long as, as the body is meant to continue, then, uh, then all healing is possible. But I also think that in practical terms, one can meditate upon this while still getting the help of, uh, of whatever the medical establishment or the Ayurvedic or uh, the Chinese acupuncture establishment, whatever any of these forms of, of healing can provide. And some of them may also give additional insight that one is not able to get. But I would also very closely uh, observe your dreams and see what information they are giving you about the symptoms. And I think that uh, sometimes dream work alone will give you information that you won't get from any other source and can't quite retrieve in a meditation. Once you have worked out what is the issue that is being reflected in the symptom and you resolve it in your consciousness, it will usually f fade from the body. Tara. Thank you. Um, you mentioned the collective shadow today, mm. and I've been feeling this week or imagining like there's this kind of collective darkness, or and I'm wondering, like I imagine from my years of being here that if one protects their aura and reaches the self, then one is not affected. But I, I mean, is that the only way? Like, is, are we just prone to being affected by the collective until one reaches the self? Or are there ways to 
to hold, yeah, to keep ourselves free from, from that kind of danger? Good question. You see, the ego itself is collective, okay? The ego is not yourself. The ego is the internalization of the projections of others, starting with your mother, right? Who she, she wanted you to be and imagined you were. And you took that in, and that became the first character you played in the play of life. Uh, and then the father's projections, and then you had to deal with the difference between those two and try to figure out how to create personas that would match both of their expectations and demands, right? And then the school system, and then the social system, etc. So the ego is collective. It's a microcosm that contains all of the collective demands of society on you and your way of negotiating all of those impossible d demands that are all uh, in conflict with each other. And, and the demands and, and beliefs you get from religion as well, which tells you, no, you shouldn't be that. You should be some pure being who is ethereal, etc. And you can't manage that. So the ego, because it is a microcosm of the collective, it's not your true self. Uh, it can never be unified. It can never be untouched by the collective because it is attached to the collective. So if you're in an ego state and you turn on your computer and put on the internet, whatever website you're looking at, if it's news or it's whatever it is, you're going to be affected by it. And the reason you turned on the computer was to be affected by it, right? If you didn't want some effect, you wouldn't have, uh, have chosen to, to, to look at this. So all the information that you take in is affecting you. That's why it's very important, once you are on a path of trying to realize the real self, don't watch a lot of horror movies and uh, of other dark things. Don't go to certain websites that are going to stimulate lower chakra activity, whether it's aggressivity or fear or paranoia or sexual lust or whatever, because that will just uh, cause you to be trapped more in that collective shadow. So you want to free yourself from that and simplify your life and take in only the highest level of information that will enable you to remember who you really are and drop the ego and its need to satisfy the demands of all of those beings in the collective who don't even really exist because they're also illusory fictions that were projected upon and then took on their roles. So you want to get out of that playhouse of Maya altogether and then realize who you are. And then you can come back and play the heroic part of the one who has realized uh, the, the real and the true and the beautiful and the good without being affected. Because now you are emanating out the truth of being. You're not trying to receive it from others. And so you're not affected, but others will be affected by the emanation of your light. Okay? So the whole economy of the consciousness will change from wanting to get something from the world to having something to give to the world that is really beautiful. And then the world will be affected by you, and then what will happen is you will get back the result of your own goodness in the form of blessings and good karma and merit and... Uh, uh, more opportunities for transformational uh, realization until the highest level of liberation is attained. 
Thank you. Okay, Bruce. Thank you, Shunya. Uh, another question from one of our members, uh, Artem, who says, thank you, Shunya. Uh, how can I use my karma to help me achieve liberation? Thank you. Well, that's all we really have is our karma. So uh, we have to use it by uh, observing it in some way, analyzing it, in understanding uh, the benefits that uh, it, it has offered us, and to ask, what is the next step in my growth? All the karma that I have done or has been done to me as, a, as an individual organismic entity, all of that has created a certain kind of consciousness, a certain sensitivity uh, to reality, certain attitudes. How can I grow beyond this so that that karma becomes an obsolete uh, memory uh, that, that no longer uh, identifies who I am or acts as an anvil, a chain, uh, uh, an addictive process of repetition? Uh, to, to learn from it and grow from it and recognize that the karma never pertained to your real self. It only pertained to the role that the being was playing within this holographic dream field matrix. And uh, by letting go of that, uh, one will then receive a download of new potentiality that could not have been imagined by the ego mind that was identified with its karma. So once you open up, to the infinite intelligence that, that is beyond the, uh, the tiny intelligence of the ego mind, once you open up to receiving that and manifesting that, a whole new kind of karma will emerge, a whole new identity. Literally a death and rebirth will happen at a very subtle level. And that new karma, which will be more beautiful, more giving, generous, uh, more... Uh, uh, sensitive to uh, the needs of others, uh, more compassionate, uh, more wise, will lead to, uh, to uh, new synchronicities, new windows of opportunity opening for even higher levels of growth. And as long as you are open to keep letting go, keep letting go, uh, keep learning, keep growing, you will discover ultimately that the absolute self has been guiding you on this path of growth all along, and you are returning to who you always were but had forgotten. And then you will be beyond karma. You will be karmatita, as they say. And instead of karma, you will see that there is a dream t waiting to be redreamed, uh, a dream in the mind of God, and that that dream is given to you to be able to transmit by perceiving it as the reality that underlies the current appearance and that is enabled now to come through into manifestation because of the purity of your own heart and your own surrender to that infinite beauty and joy that wants to manifest now for everyone. And because of your generosity of wanting to share the, the bliss with everyone, it will manifest on a planetary level.
That's how our karma leads to the highest destiny. Kalyan? Um, I've had a question or clarification uh, left over from the last retreat. And um, in today's uh, teaching, you said something that kind of triggered it. And I thought it was so beautiful. It, it was, uh, you said, bringing eternity into time. And that to me uh, is, is, I guess, what the singularity um, brings that, that to mind, um, that statement. And so the, the, I guess the question that was left over, um, it had to do with the last um, diagram that you shared with us about the singularity and it had the universe and the anti-universe. Mm. Um, and this uh, going back and forth um, in, from universe to anti-universe and this uh, death and rebirth this wheel, you could say, and how it's um, related to the, let's say, the singularity. I guess more specifically, when, what is the participation that one has in death on the wheel once one has um, realized the singularity? For example, Ramana, I wouldn't say he's on the, on the wheel of life and, and uh, mm -hmm. this, this wheel uh, that we're trying to get off of, you could say, but yet we still see him participating in, let's say, this phenomenal plane, but I wouldn't say he is part of it. Is, I don't know how, if I'm explaining it well enough, but... <clears throat> okay, you raise a lot of questions and very complex <laughs> questions. <laughs> Uh, and some that for people who weren't at the retreat uh, will be very difficult to try to, to summarize right now. But let me uh, just say, uh, to start with this uh, question about Ramana. Ramana is not the picture. Ramana is not the body. Ramana is not the, the being who was born in 1879, or I think that was the year, and lived till 1950. What, that's not Ramana Maharishi. The, the great Rishi uh, uh, spoke through that form when Venkata Raman, the ego form, totally surrendered and died into the infinite Arunachala Shiva, right? So you see an individual person, but that's your dream. Ramana is beyond all dreams. Ramana is the ultimate dreamer, and that dreamer, through an act of grace, came through that being, that organismic being, to give voice to these teachings of ultimate reality to enable others to awaken from their individual ego dreams. Uh, this is one of God's gifts, is to offer beings like that to the world in a time of darkness. And he is one of the great lights uh, at the end of Kali Yuga. But the, the bodily being and even the, the, the teachings are, are only a, a manifestation of, of a, a, the emanation uh, of a source that is infinite and never appears in the world and is beyond the world. Okay, so in that sense, Ramana is, uh, the real Ramana is the singularity. When you are in the state of consciousness that Ramana was in, and according to Ramana's own words and teachings, 
the, what you think of as a world is realized to be only divine light and information. Information carried by that light. There's no such thing as matter. And there's no such thing as time or space. These are all categories of thought created by the ego level of consciousness. They are not real. And once you, are, you realize all there is is infinite light, infinite intelligence, infinite bliss, and that can congeal as a world, but it is not actually a world. The world is a, a dream within this mind of light, this infinite intelligence then you, you recognize that, uh, that not only has there been a, a construct of a world created by uh, a, an intelligence that uh, emanated itself uh, into a, an objective field of uh, multiplicity, but did so as both a, 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 a particle of what is the equivalent of matter and of antimatter. But it's really, we could say, Atman and anti-Atman in a certain sense. Because there is no time, yet we are going in both directions in time. And therefore, when you're in that state of the singularity, you know the past and the future. It's all now. It's all here now. And there, there is nothing to go for or to go against or toward or away from. All of it is here now. And you are actually the, the intelligence that is dreaming all beings. It isn't just that you are one being that is going two directions, but you are all being that is emanating from a single source in all directions directions, in all dimensions, in all po possibilities. And once you have recognized that and you abide at the source of all of those possibilities, they are nothing more than emanations of that intelligence that you are, but nothing actually happens at all. You are the changeless God self that, that emanates world upon world, worlds without end, amen, as the prayer goes. Uh, but uh, that self is beyond all worlds and never touched by time or space or matter. All of that is an illusory projection of consciousness. So to, thank you. So to say that uh, the, the wheel of rebirth still continues is part of that illusion. Yes, who does it continue for? It continues for a belief that constitutes a consciousness that is still looking for itself. And therefore it has to take rebirth because it didn't find itself in the last life and so it has to keep looking and it has to keep learning. At a certain point, everything that needed to be learned is learned and there's graduation from that, uh, that wave in the ocean that we call the soul that reincarnates to the ocean itself. And then you're done. You are the whole wheel and the wheel doesn't really move. And the infinite hypersphere that contains all and encompasses all and yet remains infinitesimal and absolute nothingness, but a nothingness that, that is infinity. That paradox is what you are now and, and in every moment of the illusion of time. Okay, we're almost done, but go ahead, Hanuman.
been contemplating this um, idea or the concept of the locus of control mm -hmm. versus the locus of release. Mm -hmm. And it feels like the, the ego structure is the locus of control because it's mm -hmm. creating all these strategies and mm -hmm. defenses against everything that it's experienced, like you were explaining the Tara, mm -hmm. the, yes. the steps through which it's created. And then moving to the locus of release mm -hmm. feels like what you've been saying and explaining about expanding mm -hmm. and letting go of, of everything that you think mm -hmm. you are so that you can realize mm -hmm. the, the infinity of, of what you truly are. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like a very important and useful transition. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to understand um, because it feels like when I remind myself release, like every time I feel I'm holding on to something or uh, I have identified with a thought or a narrative or a story, um, I, I try to remind myself to release it because it's mm -hmm. not really what I am and it's not really what, mm -hmm. I, what I want or, or what mm -hmm. I really think. Mm -hmm. And so what I, what, I, what I feel happens is that there's still someone who's trying to release something. Mm -hmm. And what is that locus of control? Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. How does that locus of control get yeah. released? Well, that's the actual locus is the I thought. And as soon as there's an I thought, then that I thought needs to control everything else because it feels out of control. And it also lacks any essence because it's only a thought. And so it needs to get supported by matter. It needs to fill its lack with other people gazing at it to tell you you really exist when you don't actually as that ego and, uh, and, and to give you energy and attention and all of that. So the ego, because of, of its weakness and fragility, because it's not real, becomes more and more controlling. Uh, and when you realize that you're not that I thought and you release your identification with it, you let that go, then everything it was trying to control is automatically released. That's, that's what you have to do, is surrender the I-thought itself to the infinite intelligence that you are. And then there's no one left that needs to do anything. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I think that it's time to end this particular gathering but we are always in Sahaja Samadhi. We're always really the one self. Even if our attention goes elsewhere temporarily, the one self is all that is real. You are that now. You don't have to climb a ladder or fear falling down the chute. The self is unchanging. And witness those things happening, but witness it without interest, without fear, without an obsessive concern for the ego. And as soon as you are indifferent to the ego, it falls away because it's only there as an entertainer. And when it can't entertain you anymore, it's out of business. And uh, it falls away and dissolves into the infinite intelligence. That's much more entertaining. Uh, and you will have the real bliss that no ego doll can give you. And so why not enjoy that instead of cheating yourself? So I'll make one last comment before we adjourn. And that is, 
everyone in all of those countries of the world that Purusha read out, where you happen to be physically located on a bodily level, you can reach liberation wherever you are. You don't need any special conditions. You don't need to come to this ashram. You can be where you are and become, uh, or realize you are already the liberated manifestation of God consciousness. But some of you may be called to come and help and be part of this ashram and what we are doing and, uh, and to join this community and bring that joy and bliss and, and whatever special kinds of skills to deal with the situation of Maya that will, uh, the world will be going through uh, from this particular vantage point and uh, to, to add to the uh, morphogenetic feel that this community is emanating uh, your own uh, energies uh, on an individual basis. If so, uh, time is short probably to be able to, uh, to make the transition because of the uh, catastrophic events that are in the future of this illusory world. So uh, ask your heart what you are called for, but know that it's not necessary from a, a perspective of attaining liberation, but it may well be that you are called to join the tribe that is gathering here and be part of, of the, the communal manifestation of consciousness. As Thich Nhat Hanh once said, the next Buddha will come as the Sangha. And so indeed, this Sangha is rising collectively into Buddha consciousness and uh, emanating that from here. But all of you are parts of the same Sangha wherever you are. And we need a grid of liberated beings around the planet who are able to connect and uh, to attune and augment and exponentially increase the energy field everywhere so that all beings will receive the grace of God's presence through uh, all who can emanate that love into the world. So whatever it is that you are called to do in this last period of relative peace uh, before all of the, uh, the darkness hits the fan, uh, uh, ask yourself, go within, contemplate deeply uh, what is your highest destiny and, and what you are called to achieve in these final days? Because uh, this is the moment in which all of your future, if you're still on the wheel, will be determined or liberation from the wheel will be determined. And uh, uh, every moment counts, every thought counts, every offering of love counts toward the, uh, the ultimate uh, liberation and, uh, and destination that your consciousness attains before the end of this cycle of time. And so before the world dissolves into the singularity, realize that you are that so that there is no sense of catastrophic uh, destruction but only the realization of the presence of God and the rapture that is bringing the kingdom of heaven back into manifestation. May you all give yourselves and receive the blessing of God's grace in its fullness. All of you deserve it. All of you are able to receive it. 
simply let the I thought drop away and surrender to the infinite fullness and beauty and power and light that you are. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste. Namaste.